is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The EU fined Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, 1.2 billion euros, or $1.3 billion, for failing to comply with its privacy rules and ordered the company to suspend transfers of user data to America. It is the largest fine to be imposed on a big tech company in the bloc. Ireland's Data Protection Commission, one of the EU's privacy watchdogs, said that Facebook did not properly protect the data of European users against American surveillance programs. Vyacheslav Gladkov, the governor of Russia's Belgorod region, which borders Ukraine, said that a Ukrainian sabotage group had entered Russian territory. In a statement, Mr. Gladkov said that Russian forces were taking steps to repel the attack. Mikhail Podlyak, a senior advisor to Ukrainian's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, said that Ukraine has nothing to do with the events in Belgorod. President Joe Biden's administration reached a deal with three American states to protect water supplies from the Colorado River. Arizona, California and Nevada agreed to reduce their water intake from the drought-stricken river by about 13%. In return, the federal government will compensate them with roughly $1.2 billion. The river is crucial to the southwest, supplying 40 million people with water and hydropower. Sinan Ogan, the third-place candidate in Turkey's presidential election, said he would back Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the country's president, in a runoff on May the 28th. Mr Erdogan achieved 49.5% in the first, just short of a majority. Mr Ogan received only 5.2%. His announcement further narrows the chance of the opposition candidate, Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu of pulling off a historic win. TikTok sued Montana over the state's ban on the social media app, which is called a violation of America's free speech rights. Montana's law, due to take effect next year, will fine app stores that enable downloads of the Chinese-owned app. It is the first such measure in America enacted over concerns about users' vulnerability to data collection and propaganda. China's vice foreign minister, said Japan and the G7 colluded to smear and attack China and summoned the Japanese ambassador to Beijing to protest against the hype around China-related issues. The Global Times, a state-backed tabloid, called the G7 summit, hosted by Japan, an anti-China workshop. On Saturday, the G7 condemned China's economic coercion and militarization activities in the South China Sea. Belarus pardoned Roman Protoseevich, a Belarusian journalist and activist, according to state media. In May 2021, Belarus's president, Alexander Lukashenko, forced a Ryanair passenger plane to make an unscheduled stop in his capital in order to arrest Mr. Protoseevich. He was later sentenced to eight years in prison. In a video, the 28-year-old said he was insanely grateful to the president for pardoning him. Fact of the day, 1,788. The number of new TV series ordered by a broadcaster or streaming platform based in Britain in the year to April. 
and we're always trying to improve our podcasts, and we'd like your help. Whether you're a loyal fan or a new listener, we want to hear from you. Tell us what you think by filling out our listeners' survey. It only takes a few minutes. To take part, visit economist.com slash briefing survey. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Ukraine stocks up for its counteroffensive. On Tuesday, EU defense ministers will meet in Brussels to discuss the bloc's support for Ukraine. In recent weeks, France, Germany, and Italy have all promised more military support, including air defense systems, howitzers, and drones. Meanwhile, Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, secured more pledges for weapons at the G7 summit in Japan on Sunday, including a new American package worth $375 million. America also said that it would help to train Ukrainian pilots on F-16 fighter jets, an important step towards Ukraine finally getting the warplanes. The flurry of pledges comes as Ukraine prepares for its long-awaited counteroffensive. Yet analysts at the Royal United Services Institute, a London-based think tank, suggest that Ukrainian success will probably rely more on sound tactics than new weaponry. They note that Russia's tactics have evolved substantially, notably in the Department of Infantry. Ukrainian forces will have to be dynamic to gain the initiative, breaking through Russian defenses and exploiting gaps. Modi goes down under. After meeting with leaders of G7 and Pacific Island countries, Narendra Modi, India's Prime Minister, continues his diplomatic blitz on Tuesday with a visit to Australia. The relationship between the two countries has always been lackluster. According to one bad joke, every Australian government discovers India once. But there is more now to give it spark, especially the country's shared concerns about China. Both sides feel the steely edge of Chinese expansionism, either through economic coercion or territorial clashes. They form one half of the Quad, a strategic grouping whose other members are America and Japan. They have stepped up military training with other Quad partners. Trade has almost doubled since 2020. Last year, Australia and India signed a free trade agreement to boost it further. Yet perhaps the biggest source of unity is cultural. Indian migration to Australia has soared. Indians now make up its second biggest ethnic diaspora community after the British. Mr. Modi is due to speak at a stadium in Sydney. Thousands of Indian-origin Australians will be there to cheer him. The Bosnian Serb leader pays homage to Putin. Milorad Dodik, the president of Republika Srpska, the Serbian entity in Bosnia-Herzegovina, will be in Moscow on Tuesday. He is attending a business meeting of the Eurasian Economic Union, a small Russian-dominated bloc of former Soviet states, and is expected to meet Vladimir Putin. Mr. Dodik favors ties with Russia over those with the EU. He has so far prevented Bosnia from imposing sanctions on Russia. His actions have cost him friends in the West. Mr. Dodik is under British and U.S. sanctions for alleged corruption, which he denies, and for threatening regional stability. None of this jeopardizes Bosnia's EU candidacy, however, because Mr. Dodik is now so isolated. He is going to Moscow to show that he still has one important friend. Mr. Dodik and Mr. Putin may discuss the building of separate gas pipelines from Russia to Republika Srpska via Serbia. This would help give the Serbian bit of Bosnia energy independence from the rest of it, making Mr. Dodik's secessionist ambitions more achievable. Shell's shareholder strife 
On Tuesday, Shell, a European oil giant, will hold its annual general meeting in London. Its C-suite and its security operation are probably feeling on edge. Last year's AGM was disrupted after environmental protesters burst in. Almost a fifth of Shell's shareholders went on to vote against the board's proposed strategy for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, regarding it as inadequate. This year's meeting could be more acrimonious still. High energy prices have bestowed on the oil majors an extraordinary glut of cash. In February, Shell posted annual net profits for 2022 of $42 billion, more than double what it earned in 2021. That delighted some investors. Others are determined to force the company to do more to lessen the damage it has caused to the environment. Follow this. An activist investor group has filed a resolution demanding that Shell slash greenhouse gas emissions across its whole supply chain by 2030 by far more than it has promised. The International Booker Prize on Tuesday, the International Booker Prize for Fiction in English Translated will be awarded. The £50,000 or $62,300 prize is split equally between author and translator. Leila Slimani, a French-Moroccan journalist and novelist who chairs the jury, calls the short list of six books, quote, very cool, very sexy. Their authors include the 89-year-old Guadalupe-born doyen of French fiction, Maurice Condé, and the Korean screenwriter turned cult novelist Chian myung Kwan. Themes stretch from same-sex parenthood in Reykjavik, Boulder by Eva Baltazar, to divisive nationalism, Time Shelter, a satirical work of science fiction by Bulgaria's Georgi Gospodinov. Standing Heavy by Ivorian author Gauss deals with the struggles of France's migrant underclass. Ms. Conde, the oldest author ever to be shortlisted, would be a popular winner. The visionary Mr. Gospodinov would be a topical one. And a win for Mr. Chian's fantastical family saga, Whale, would add another crest to Korea's cultural wave. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours GMT on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Tuesday, who directed the films 1917 and Skyfall? Monday, which car company, established in 1899, sells models including the Megane and Clio? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Martin Amos. Style is not neutral. It gives moral directions. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.